when I'm writing, I actually feel like I'm listening to something beyond myself. I am your host, Raquel Ark, an American podcasting from Germany, and this is Listen In. Join this series of conversations with inspiring scientists, leaders, and authors about listening as a surprising superpower that is not always as easy as it seems. Believe me, I know, and I've been learning and will continue to learn, and I hope that this podcast will help you find practical ways to help others listen better while you become better at leading people, catalyzing collaboration, transforming conflict, building trust and engagement. And I'll tell you, when really good listening happens, then the entire group, including you, can feel energized and inspired. So sit back and enjoy listening beyond what we typically think of. How can listening to yourself be an ultimate superpower to live the life that you want? Robbie Swale is a leadership coach, author, and podcaster whose work focuses on creativity, coaching, and leading with honor. In this episode, Robbie shares his journey on how writing consistently for 12 minutes over a period of time developed into a practice of listening that surprised him. And it helped him get things done and move him forward, even amidst his fears. His stories and practical tips can help you to discover listening to move you forward in ways that might surprise you too. Robbie is the author of How to Start When You're Stuck and How to Keep Going When You Want to Give Up. These two books are part of a series that has come out of his writing 12 minutes on a regular basis. These books provide practical inspiration to get your idea off the ground and to help you create good habits and to stay focused, even when it's hard. Enjoy listening in. Welcome to the Listen In podcast, Robbie. It's great to have you today. Yeah, it's an absolute pleasure to be here, Raquel. I was lucky enough to be on your podcast some months ago, and that was such an amazing experience because you interviewed me for three hours. <laughs> I think it was a bit less than that, but, but but not that much. Like I think the episode is like just probably two and a bit hours long. So we had a lot of time. I think we had two and a half hours in the diary. I usually do. And so it was like a long conversation. Now, how often do you have someone sit down with you and, and record a conversation for that long, or even have someone dive deep into your thoughts and your life for that long? It was really a great experience. So I just want to appreciate you for that, for taking that time. Yeah, well, it was a total pleasure. And I've had lots of people talk to me about that episode and it accidentally ended up being a, you know, it's a podcast for coaches. So a lot of the people who are listening have thought about listening in different ways, but we ended up with a little sequence that were kind of focused on on listening in different ways, starting, I think, with that conversation with you a little by accident, just to kind of emerge that that was what the two or three conversations were about. And yeah, it was a it was an absolute pleasure, and, and and you're right. It is a. I kind of didn't know that it would be such an unusual thing to be giving people, although I probably should have. But you know, even obviously, I'm I'm in that podcast. I'm mostly interviewing coaches who mostly do listening rather than be listened to at length. But also, there's a different thing when someone's really with you know we're really getting into your journey in that conversation and where it, where you came from and and to to have that yeah it is quite a rare thing. It's it's I think it. 
you know, it would be an amazing thing to to do for everybody, really, to give everybody that space, an hour and a half, two hours, two and a half hours every few years to think about their their life and their journey. But that process helps them to get clear. I have done that, which is a little different, but it's nice. It's really nice. Before we get di- we dive into your journey, so it's really nice to have you here and I have a chance to listen to you this time. Because this podcast does have a focus on listening, thinking about listening, even maybe beyond what people typically think about. I'd love to have you reflect back, consider a moment where you first noticed the power of listening, whether it worked or it didn't work. Yeah, well, we're kind of like it was really interesting in the knowing that we were going to have this conversation and having listened to your show and being kind of aware of that of that question because I was trying to I'm, I've been doing some work myself on my biography recently on on really specifically thinking about where I came from and and, and that kind of thing and and I'm also very aware of memory and how it's a strange flexible thing not quite the re- video recording that we sometimes imagine it it is um, and I, the truth is I could like. I found myself wanting to make up a listening story, you know, from early in life. And I'm pretty sure, you know, interestingly, my parents met on a, I, I'm pretty sure this is true. God, I, you know, I'm not sure I know it to be 100%. But I'm pretty sure they met or one of the early times they spent time together was on a psychotherapy training course. So they they did that at different points in their life, but they both had the ability to listen. And I'm pretty sure that I would have experienced some really high quality listening from an early age. And then I'm pretty sure there would be a story of when I later went to school, you know, I really struggled with that transition. And I suspect that was because the listening was really different at that stage out of my family environment and into a different one. But the truth is, I don't have an actual story there. And what came to mind when I was thinking about it just before this call is actually our mutual friend, for, you know, who's been a guest on your show, Colin Smith. And he's a friend of mine. I've, I've known him for a number of years. And what actually came to mind was this experience of Meeting somebody else just after I'd met Colin for a, a coffee, just after Falga Square in London, probably about seven years ago. And I just remember the conversation I had with my friend Alex, who I met after that afternoon, and just being kind of unable to, like, my energy was different. My I remember Alex saying, <laughs> and this is partly in my class, I saw Alex the other day, and we were talking about this particular conversation because we, we met near where we had it. But Alex was like, you can't stop talking about this conversation you've just had. What was going on in that? And again, I'm not sure that I would, I'm not sure that my answer then said this, but I think what happened was I just had an amazing two hours of being listened to, of being in a real thought partnership. And my energy was really different because of that. So that, that is what comes to mind, interestingly, which is not that long ago. And I'm, I'm sure I've probably done some coaching training by then. That one, and it happens every time I meet up with Colin, and I hope it happens for him too. And it's not that he's doing what we were doing in an interview. He's not just listening, but something about that, that those conversations does give me a really amazing energy that I recognize now, including from being interviewed on by great listeners on podcasts and things like that, is often the energy I get after I've been listened to really well. So your friend who you met up with afterwards noticed something different about you. And part of that was this conversation that you had with Colin, where you experienced his, you know, amazing listening. So Robbie, this this experience that you shared about being listened to and how that raised your energy and how you've become aware of how your experiences in being listened to through coaching or through being interviewed on podcasts that you have noticed that after you have each of these interactions, it impacts your energy and what's you as a person, which has cascading impacts even beyond that. So you're talking a lot about listening and listening with other people. But what I find really, really interesting is that you have spent the last few years also 
writing a few books that this is time spent more by yourself, <laughs> which is a little bit different than listening with others. <laughs> so maybe we can talk about this. What have you discovered about listening to yourself and not only with others, but also the, your experience of writing and how that has impacted you listen, listening to yourself? Just yesterday, I had a day with almost, I think with maybe with no interactions with other people. And I, I said to my wife, well, maybe the morning hadn't been, and I'd been doing a lot of work by myself. And and I've been doing a particular kind of work. I've been doing a kind of doing work, a kind of to-do list, getting through it work. And at the end of that morning, I said to her, do you know, sometimes having no calls is just as bad as having too many calls. Because I'll get to the end of the day, if I've booked in too many calls, I'll feel kind of fried. And I felt a bit fried at lunchtime. But hearing you say that, I'm just aware, yeah, I wasn't Neither was I being listened to by anyone else yesterday morning, but I wasn't really listening to myself either. I was just in doing mode. And, and there's definitely, yeah, there's definitely things I've noticed about, I guess, listening to myself, but also, you know, and different people will find the language for this, different language for this useful in different ways. But sometimes it, when I'm writing, I actually feel like I'm listening to something beyond myself, something Sometimes I'll write things and I'll feel more like they're being written through me than that I'm creating them myself. You know, it'll be a little bit of a feeling of whose words were those? The interesting thing about that, that I have definitely been practicing that in the way that I've been writing for almost exactly six years, actually. Now it's probably almost exactly six years to the day since I started my, my writing practice. Now that didn't start as a practice in listening to myself, but it is absolutely become one. Shall I just tell really briefly where, where that writing practice originated? So just yeah, right now, I didn't want to interrupt, yeah. but yes, I was thinking, so tell me about the right, yeah, that writing practice. I would love to hear Yeah, so about it. I mean, it's essentially what's happening, like I say, almost exactly six years ago. So uh, the writing practice I remember started in, you know, we're recording this in August, it started in August 2016. Um, and what was happening was I was noticing that I, I was working with a coach. I was being listened to really well. Um, and and we, we kind of get echoes of that listening from Joel Monk, who was the coach in the story. What I was hearing from myself, I guess, if we're thinking about that frame, is like a real reluctance, anxiety, stress about sharing myself, particularly online. But it was happening in other places as well. We'd been working with this in different ways. Part of it was a kind of professional knowledge. I was starting off my coaching business a year or so earlier, and I knew that it would be useful to be able to be present online, like I didn't to be held back from that. But also, I didn't really didn't like feeling like this, feeling all this kind of pressure and stress and anxiety about I mean, at the time, as I remember it, even about posting like a joke on Facebook, let alone writing something myself and then sharing it. And so what Joel and I did was we created a practice that helped me get out of my own way and, and, and practice sharing. And, and the game was going to be five. Joel's told me, you know, he and I think this is an example of of listening, really, like it wasn't kind of textbook coaching. He, he'd heard something in me or he, the thing he shared was so created so much for us that it must have been based on what he'd heard. And what he said was, he used to be a visual artist and so before he was a coach. And so what he said was, when I was an artist, I used to like painting a series of paintings. So what if, you know, essentially the question, I don't remember if he asked it was, what if you write a series of articles? And we already talked about how I liked the freedom to create on my short train journey. I had a, a very short commute from where I live in Southwest London into London Waterloo. And the game was going to be write an article on the train, one on each of the days I'm going into central London in the next two weeks. There were five of these days. The game was going to be write while the train is moving, stop when it stops, proofread it once and post it online. 
there were lots of ways in which this was me getting out of my own way. You know, I could write a little excuse at the bottom of the article saying this is part of an experiment writing on the train, you know, essentially, because my fear was people will laugh at or hate the things that I've written. They'll tell me I'm wrong. They'll tell me I'm stupid. And that, that gave me an excuse, right? It gave me, oh, well, anyone who criticizes somebody who wrote an article on the train, you know, it was written on the train. What can I do? Of course, there's mistakes. So it really, really helped that part of me that was afraid. And what happened was interesting. It didn't necessarily feel nice over those five, but it kind of felt good. I knew something was happening there. So what I did was I made it a weekly practice after that. And I've been doing basically writing a piece of writing in that way for the last six years now, one a week. After a while, I stopped getting the train and I checked how long the train took and it took about 12 minutes. And so I these days I set a timer for 12 minutes. I write while the timer's going, stop when it stops, proof it once and post it online. And they're all on LinkedIn and on my website as well if, if people want to check them out. And there are kind of two parts of it that that I think really speak to what in the end became a listening practice, a practice of listening to myself, of listening to what wants to emerge. Um, the first is that after a while, I kind of became aware that that was what was happening. So I came across this framework that is in a book called 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership by Jim Detmer and Kaylee Klemp and Diana Chapman. I, I kind of referenced it really briefly earlier. It's the idea that there are different states we can be in in life. We can be in life happening to me, which is kind of like where, yeah, we're just the victim of everything that's happening. It's just kind of, you know, we only respond. We can be in life created by me. And I'd done quite a lot of work to get into that. So that's when we see that we have the power to make decisions in our life and also to make decisions in how we think and how we see the world. And, and we have a lot of control there. And there's kind of taking responsibility is a big move for our lives to get into life created by me. But I'd kind of become aware of the, of the third of their four, four states there is a fourth one. The third one is life happening through me. And I'd heard Jim Detmer talk about this. And I, then I would got really interested in it. And I'd seen the power of it in coaching. It's kind of getting super present and just letting the coaching happen through me rather than trying to get it exactly right, or even becoming a victim of my coaching models, which I definitely was at some times. So I'd got interested in life happening through me. And I had then started to see uh, that I could deliberately do that in these articles, but also see that I've been doing it by mistake already. It had already been a through me practice because in 12 minutes or a short train journey, there's no real time to think. There's not really time to create the article. You just have to write from whatever's interesting you that day and see what emerges. So as I saw that that was what I'd already been practicing and then saw that I could do that even more and that actually the, the articles that felt most significant and meaningful for me came more from that place then it became even more of a through me practice. And sometimes these days, I'll, sometimes I'll sit down with a bit more by me with like, I want to write an article about this. But sometimes I'll just sit down and ask what wants to be written today and see what emerges. And that is absolutely for me a practice in listening to myself and listening to the creative impulse. And then I know I've been talking for a little while, Raquel, but there's just one more piece that I just want to put in. Because what was really interesting at the end of the first three years of writing those practices, I thought I could... Seth Godin, who's a, a blogger and a, an author, had just turned a load of his blogs into a book. And I'd seen that and I thought, oh, I could turn my blogs into a book. Because I had about, after three years, about 140 of them. And LinkedIn, they were mostly on LinkedIn. Then it was really hard to navigate them. No one would be able to find them. So I thought I could turn them into a book. And then I thought it would be funny because I could call it, I wrote this book in 12 minutes. And I took that to my friend who was a who's an editor. Um, I'm actually working with him editing my next book as we speak. Just emailed him pretty much the last thing I did for work before I we, we got on this call. And he asked me this great question, which is that's, he said something like, that's a great title, Robbie. He's called Steve Creek. He, he, Steve asked, it's a great title, Robbie. Can the book do what the title does? So, so the title is a bit confrontational. It's like, I wrote a book in 12 minutes. You can definitely do the thing you want to do. But could the book 
the contents of it do that. This is where the second part of of just you know essentially starting from listening had got me because it turned out when I thought about the process that people have to go through to do the things they want to do, especially when they're struggling with it, I, I kind of came up with four parts of that. When I sat down with the pieces I'd written, the 140 of them, I printed them all off. I had them scattered across my living room and started dealing them out. It turned out they fell almost perfectly into those four categories, into those four parts of the what we might call the creative process. How do we get from having an idea or something that's calling us to the thing in the world um, impacting on us and others? Whether that's a habit or whether it's a business or a book or a, you know whatever that might be. And that that was kind of still kind of wild for me to think that, that I'd accidentally not just written 80,000 words. So one of the parts of it is that's amazing is if you write for 12 minutes a week for three years, you end up with about 80,000 words, which isn't a lot of, that's like, you know, in the end, I decided it was too long for one book and it's going to be a series of four. It's like 80,000 words. But the remarkable thing and the thing that I think came from this listening to myself or listening to the creative impulse was that I hadn't just written any book I'd written or any series of books. I'd written a series of books about something, 80,000 words about how we do the things that we really want to do that we find difficult. It's interesting. I'm looking forward to at some point sitting down with the second three years of these articles and wondering, well, what have I been writing about for these years? And it's a really different model for me than most of how I think books are written. And it's taken quite a lot of adjustment for me to be comfortable with that, that I haven't sat down and researched the book and done a kind of by me, like book created by me. And instead, I've, I've got a book that kind of happened through me. I'm pausing for a second because there was so much there. I love your story of your process, starting from a place of fear when you first started your coaching sessions, fear to be visible or to be seen or to put yourself out there, which I think so many people go through in a lot of different contexts, not only social media, but also in organizations when they start working and whatnot. But then to the part of being challenged by somebody else to find a way to, to challenge yourself in a playful way without any expectation of outcome taking me off the hook for mm-hmm. any particular outcome with this writing was was massive in this for me. And to have fun with it, you know, just to have fun with whatever it is, just here. And it didn't take that long. So I didn't have to think about it that much or it didn't give me time to think, you know, I just did it. But yet that consistency piece seems like it was really important. And that through that process of just doing something and being consistent and without any expectation of outcome. And in, in fact, it was, it had a certain playfulness to that, um, that that you discovered, you discovered what yourself, you discovered, you know, you talk about things coming through you, you know, what is it? Where does that come from? What is it that comes out? And how, if you look at that afterwards, to be able to organize it, and actually, there is a pattern, there is a pattern that shows up that was there the whole time, but wasn't seen. So not only have you made yourself visible, but you've created, you've made visible something that has been there (laughs) the whole time to take the time to actually even do that, you know, and to just see what is there is and make the pattern or what wants to be shown visible. This is really also very, very interesting. And that your editor, all the, I was thinking about the different people that happen to be in your life at the right time, maybe just the, you know, by chance to challenge you to even look at what you think it is. And what if it's more than that? What if it's something bigger than what you think? And then that's where probably the book or the purpose shifted at that moment. That's a great challenge for any of us, isn't it? What if it's something bigger than, than you think? You know, I think like I find 
Yeah, a bit hard sometimes, to be honest, Raquel, to kind of, you know, it's like to to accept those things, to notice those things that are kind of bigger than I think. Because inside me, I'm just still the same scared little boy I was on some level. It's like, and then some somehow I have done this thing, which is now two books out already and a third one coming soon in this series in this strange way. And I think in my coaching work, I've often seen the power of inviting people to yeah, what if it's something bigger than than you think? What if something bigger than you think is possible is possible? And and those challenges, they are they're really beautiful. Yeah, they're really beautiful. And just to say, it has been an enormous there's so much in that writing practice for me. You know, it has been enormously transformational. And just as you were talking about it, you know, the first piece you reflected back there was the place of fear. You know, I talked about the kind of business need or the kind of strategic need to want to be comfortable with sharing things that I'd made. And I totally agree that, that being seen in organizations is as can be as challenging as being seen on social media. You know, it's like, it, this is not a restricted to writing a blog online. This is the kind of thing that happens every time we, we think about, yeah, maybe challenging ourselves to be something bigger than we think or to, to make a change that we don't think we're the kind of person that is supposed to make. When I felt that fear, one of the things that got me, that made me confront it really, I think, was that I'd read this amazing book called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. He talks in that about this thing that he calls resistance, which is basically all the thing, all the ways that we stop ourselves from doing the things that really matter, whether the things that really matter are write a book or an act of courage or an act of, of love. or um, <laughs> He has a, a funny chapter is called Resistance is Greatest Hits. And one of the things that resistance always gets you for is any, he says, is any act that involves the tightening of the abdominals. You know, so it's like these things that we say we want to do and we don't do. Now, one of the things he says in that is uh, that a good rule of thumb, the places where we feel the most resistance, the most fear, do the most procrastination, the places where we feel the most resistance are the most important places for our soul's evolution. And that's a pretty, I had a, a sense, I think, back in 2016 that 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 was probably true for me. And I think there's a kind of rational way you can think it through that makes sense, right? If you're scared of something, the place thing you're most scared of, if you can conquer that fear, that's the place where you can grow the most. We, you know, you could make that kind of rational argument. I had a sense that Pressfield was probably right about that. But when I look back now, six years later, after feeling all this resistance about sharing myself online, about sh sharing things I'd made, you know, it has changed me in all kinds of unimaginable ways over six years of creating, of sharing, like you say, of consistency. You know, I did, I've never put my mind to something, created a habit and kept it for six years before this. Uh, and it gets longer every week, right? Like, and now I know I'm somebody who can do that. And that's transformational as well. So, yeah, there has been a lot in this. So I have a question then for you. There's this place of resistance that is part of your transformation over the last six years. And and it's, yeah, having a habit for six years, really, a 12-minute habit. Very exciting. <laughs> but um, so I'm, so if you notice what's going on now at the place where you're at right now and how where you've come and where you are now, and you look into the next uh, future, uh, where's your place of resistance right now? It's a good question and, a, and an annoying question, if I may say so, Raquel. Um, <laughs> two things that instantly come to mind, but I'm going to slow right down and try and listen because I think it's it's too good a question. Like it's a, it could be a transformational question for me. Let me give those two answers that I mentioned, and then a and then a third thing that's come to mind. So the the answer is I'm not quite sure. <laughs> that's the first one. I, I've started a new podcast recently in a completely different format, and what I've noticed is I have been full of anxiety around it, much more so than I ever am about writing a 12-minute article these days, which which now potentially, essentially, I'm incredibly comfortable doing on basically any topic. 
but the podcast I get a lot of resistance about, and I got you know a message from someone nice, a fairly nice message about it, which I then found myself thinking about in the middle of the night, you know, and so it's like and noticing there's a lot of stuff going on around that. A thing that I if we think about it, like a thing that I want to do more of and don't still don't really do, like I'm starting to do it, is collaboration. You know, I've worked fairly, pretty much solitarily for the last seven years it's not quite true i've had lots of small partnerships but you know i've been aware that i I kind of since i had an insight last year i've been aware i want more help help in my business i want to grow my business i want to work with more people and it's it's a it feels like a slow painful process to do that but also i just caught in that moment when i slowed down another thing that i say i want and don't do anything about and so maybe there's some resistance there is, is to have more space for life to be more effortless for life to feel less pressured and yet I fill my days with creative projects and things that I do. So I'm, I'm aware of that in this moment as well. Well, both are pretty big. Or I mean, all three, right? The I don't know, the collaboration, the effortless. And they seem like three separate things, but I wonder if they're actually connected. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, as, even as you were reflecting that back, I thought of a few, like I've got another book written that isn't these ones that I, that I basically finished the manuscript of about two years ago which is still sitting on my computer unreleased. Now, I don't know, like, is that because there were other more important things to do or is there some resistance there? And are, yeah, are those things related help? I mean, it feels like they should be. If I can get more help, that should create more space in my life. You know, and there's a possibility that I'm aware of that it will feel different. Resistance probably feels different at different stages in our life. Now, there's a very specific thing that I became aware of that I had a lot, which I sometimes think of as creative hell, which which was what I had in, in 2016 and what I've recognized a lot of times since, like the real desire to be doing something. And then the kind of possible internal tension of I'm not doing it and realizing that and knowing it and, and the fear that goes with it. And I mostly don't have that about projects anymore. And I think that's a lot because, so with with the book that, for example, that, that's unpublished, that I'm, I'm not even sure I'm going to work on next year when when I'll have more space and time. It doesn't have that same feeling. And yet probably that may be because I've developed a confidence. I know how kind of how to deal with myself when it comes to that creative hell piece. I know which parts of myself to listen to and which parts I shouldn't be listening to because they're not they're not the wiser parts of me. Once now that I've worked those things, resistance will show up differently in the Yeah, it's it's interesting because I think this creative tension I think that you're talking about, which can be, you know, I mean obviously you have the your projects, you know, with the books, the podcast, different things that you have. And I think of in the business world, when we think of coming up with solutions, I mean, when it comes down to it, those are also creative processes. Absolutely. Any change and, you're seeking to make, organizational ones are, can be particularly tricky because there's, it's not just your personal inertia that you have to fight. It might be organizational inertia to change. Like there's a lot, and there's a lot of reasons. And I was just thinking like, right, let's take, let's take this idea. Like you said, you know how to listen to your this creative hell, the parts, the parts that help you move forward are the parts that hold you back or get in your way. Can you explain that a little bit uh, better for maybe someone who may not know what that is? And also maybe think from the perspective, even of someone who is in an organization, for example, working in that context, even though I know it's not always connected that way, but perhaps how would you explain listening to this creative tension or this creative hell and what moves us forward and what holds us back or what gets in our way? Yeah. What, what came up as you were saying that is, is a frame that my, um, one of my mentors, Robert Holden, um, 
told me about or asked me or, or, or somebody else we were working with, the question is kind of, is that fear speaking or is that wisdom? And what Robert would say is most people know the answer to that. When you ask them that question, not always, and sometimes you have to help people think about, or oh, what what is that like, and what does that mean? But often people actually have a pretty strong idea of that. And the key thing about this is there are all kinds of thoughts and voices that are going on in our head. And what I really learned from Stephen Pressfield is anyone who you know his his view is, and he was by this by the time he wrote The War of Art, he was a successful novelist. He'd had a lot of struggle as a novelist and screenwriter, and then he had found success. And so he, he was able to speak firsthand, but also give examples. And I've since read other people, Liz Gilbert, many more people giving similar, telling similar stories. The sense is everybody has the voices that tell them, you're not the person to do this. So this is absolutely key for me. The, the, one of the games, the way to deal with that is you don't have to listen to those voices. And part of that is because that we have, we have some voices in our head that may come from fear. And mostly they, mostly that fear isn't real. You know, mostly it's outdated from an earlier time in our life, or perhaps even from an earlier time in our species life. And there are parts that come from our inner wisdom. So that might be life happening through me. That might be what I'm listening to when I'm, when I'm writing my pieces now. It's like really deeply, what do I know to be true here? What do I know to be right? What do I know to be important? And so one of the things would be for somebody who hasn't used to, is to start practicing listening to those voices. <laughs> you know, and it's fun. It gets fun at first because, you, you know, you read something like The War of Art and you're like, oh, well, I recognize that voice. I have that thought. Oh, and if Stephen Pressfield or... Laurence Olivier or reading Liz Gilbert's book, Big Magic, Liz Gilbert has those thoughts, then it's okay. That's not a sign that I shouldn't do this thing that's, that I think is important to me. So to practice that, that self-listening and, and writing, whether it's for yourself or for somebody else, you can just write uh, for 12 minutes every once a week. Most people can find that. Just practice writing from that place. You don't have to post it on LinkedIn. That's not necessarily an important part of the process. That could be a way of doing that. Um, and, and practicing that kind of listening to the wisdom voice. We all have the safety mechanism voice, which is where that resistance comes from. I often hear people like, oh, I don't have time to think, or I don't have time to, you know, to think about strategy, or I don't have time, you know, this stuff. This is probably this wisdom stuff, you know, like in terms of leading teams and stuff like this. And so what if, what if you gave yourself this 12 minutes a week to just write and not, you know, just to write without thinking a whole lot, you know, allowing that creative impulse to come out. And what if you started there? I wonder what would happen if there, if people were consistent for once a week, just giving that 12 minutes to give them that space to, let's say, quote unquote, think what would happen. And look, what, well, one of the things that I've noticed over six years of, of writing is if you write how you think, then as you practice writing and get better at that, because over six years, you definitely get better at, at writing in 12 minutes, then you also get better at thinking. And if you write how you speak, then you also get better at speaking. You know, I speak now in a more complete, uh, what would we say, a structured way, I think, than I did six years ago. And a big part of that is because every week I've spent some time structuring some thoughts about something. And I think that that would be an amazing practice. But the way that I would take it even further, you, you know, could be that there might be a, there might be a question, a prompt question. You could change this question every time you, you sat down in your organization. It might be, if we wanted to go, it might be just like, what's important in my work? this week or right now, and then to just write and see what emerges. You could have something like that. But I wonder if, if we're thinking about the, the creative impulse, the change impulse in an organization, you could really go for it. You could go for something like, what's an important thing in my work right now that I'm not doing? And then if you write from that place with a prompt, something like that, we'll start to uncover them. And mostly in an organization, when I've seen a big part of my coaching is with people in organizations, mostly what I've seen is there's a, there's this kind of 
The challenges are often relational. So there's conversations, there's difficult conversations that aren't being had. So there's, there's some challenges like that that often people face resistance about. There's some staying kind of what we might call in a kind of coachy way, staying true to yourself, true to your values, challenges that I've seen, you know, recurring. It's like, I know how I want to achieve success, but I feel like the way to achieve success is this other way that kind of compromises who I am in some way. Um, and basically, it's a harder path to do to, to stay true to my values and attempt to find success. So I'm avoiding that and I'm letting myself get pulled into the game. So it's a that's another one. And then there's also there's also some, you know, there's some real challenge, right? Because in an organization, unlike with writing a blog online, right? Writing a blog online did not have any long-term consequences for my actual, you know, for example, my safety or security. You know, it wasn't going to affect in a negative way. It was very unlikely it was going to stop me earning money, for example. But in an organization, that can feel really different. So it can really feel that if I stand out in this, in this wrong way, speech marks wrong way, then actually my livelihood is is under threat here. And that does it is worth saying in an organization that that does bear examining. What is the worst that could happen here if I really stand up and am seen? And we have to think a little bit sometimes in those cases, if there's a really difficult conversation, a difficult negotiation, something like that, like, you know, what is the the, the worst outcome here and how can I mitigate that and really check in. But but when I was checking in, so it's so that so this is important to say because fear can be wise. I guess that's what I'm I'm saying here too. And it's important to really listen to that fear and, and really investigate it sometimes. I don't know if yeah. does that resonate with you? Yeah, because I mean, it, it, there are times where we do need, do need, we have, it protects us, right? It does protect us on a certain level. So there's, if something doesn't feel right, or there's something going on, it's just information. And it, it's good to look at that and see, is that, where's that coming from? Is it coming from some of my issues? Or is there something really there to pay attention to? I think this next question that I have for you is connected to your two books, but also thinking about the t- context we were just talking about. Um, um, th- and this is where you have learned how to listen to yourself, paying attention to these creative impulses, right? And so listening to that, but also you have learned how to get things done that maybe you put off, right? So there's this, somehow or other, this this interplay between creativity and creating new and new ideas, as well as moving things forward. First of all, to take the time to have the space and time to think, let that creativity show up, which is where new ideas and new solutions and whatnot come out of. But at what point in time do we move them forward and that interplay? What have you discovered about that? There's a way in which that 12-minute writing practice has become how I deal with the things that aren't getting started. For me, often it's kind of the overwhelm of the size of a project is like, uh, is what stops me. So it's like, I know the kind of thing that I want to do, but the size of the project overwhelms me and it that stops me in my track. So for me, often that it's the same practice, but I find my own way of doing it, it you know, in each and, and different projects can require different amounts, but it is essentially, can I create the time once a week? So, th- so the insight from the 12 minute method for me has been, oh, a small amount of time once a week has a much bigger impact than I would have expected it to have. Three years later, 12 minutes a week, 80,000 words about something by mistake. You know, it's like, oh, if I now know that, that has implications everywhere. And so it's how can I build something repeatable that at least means I'm moving a little bit towards what I want. Now, in an organization, for example, that might look really different to 12 minutes a week. Like, I think that would be a really interesting practice, the one we just talked about. But if it's a big project that is just a bit overwhelming, for example, it might be, can I find one 
partner who's interested in this in the organization as well? And can we have a fortnightly 45 minutes that we always are going to, we're going to stick to for the next six months to think about this thing. And if we just spend that 45 minutes, like that might be enough. And let's see what happens after that six months. And often, you know, what I discovered is, you know, often when you've got this kind of thing, yeah, less time than you think is needed is enough. And it, and of course it compounds over a longer time period, you know, so 45 minutes, a fortnight, is that what I just said? I can't remember for, for six months, over six months, that's quite a lot of 45 minutes is, and there will be more done in that time than you expect. But also it's like the act of inertia. I feel like the act of inertia is, is not a neutral thing. It is a damaging thing. So if we know we want to be creating a change in our organization that will change the organization for the better, be do it, be, be working just a little bit on a project that we think will really serve the customers that, that, that aren't being served in this way at the moment. If we don't do it, it doesn't stay the same because we get, we get regret and regret compounds so that every day we don't, we're not doing anything about the thing. We feel worse about the thing. And of course, the kind of reverse is true. So if we start doing something, we remember every day that we did something about that thing that matters to us, that's important to us last week or the week before when we met up with our colleague, we are, we are working on this thing and we know that. And that helps us do more as time goes on. So, you know, essentially the piece is find the lowest cost, lowest risk way to start the smallest amount of time that might be enough. I heard, I heard a story that Roger Bannister, who ran the first four minute mile, the interesting thing about how he trained for it was that he didn't obsess about running a mile as fast as possible. He obsessed about running a mile in exactly just under four minutes so that he could break that barrier. And I think that's a really interesting way to think about things because a lot of time we're thinking about, you know, if we go back to that, you know, this kind of example of the project at work, we're thinking, how can I get this project done as quickly as possible? And instead, sometimes, at least to get me moving on things that I'm not moving on, it's much better to obsess about what would be exactly enough and not a second more for me to do on this thing this week so that I'm making some progress. I love that. <laughs> so you don't spend too much time. You know, the amount of time we have is usually the amount of time that we take to get things done. Or also to focus on maybe what's important at that moment, right? If you were to describe, if you were to give me a few sentences describing your your two books in a way that captures what readers will take from it, what would it be? What would they be? So the first book is called How to Start When You're Stuck. For that one, I, I think it is in a way, it's that, it's that piece that we've just been talking about. You know, we, we've been talking about them both, actually, really. The second one is how to keep going when you want to give up. So the start book, I think it is the piece is start. Um, and, and maybe it's this, there's, a, there's a, a, a sentence, which actually is a funny story. I, I thought it was a Stephen Pressfield quote, and then I researched it and couldn't find it and realized it was something I'd written, which is about Stephen Pressfield and inspired by something in The War of Art. But just start, because once we make a start, then inspiration will appear. So that might be the first one. And the second one it is in that the power of keeping going. You know, it's, it's the tortoise does often beat the hare. If the I mean, if you can run at hair pace with your writing a book or writing a blog, then for, for six years, by all means do. I could never have done that. And so instead, find the way and all the ways, and you might need to become your own psychologist to do this, to keep going, to build the habit that, that you can stick with over a long period, because that in itself can be transformational. And if you were to share with our audience, like maybe one tool or one little tip or trick or something to kind of get them started 
on or to support them with uh, not giving up? <laughs> what would mm. you say? Yeah, I think it would be in that thing, Raquel, that you talked about before. It's about it's about well, you you pulled the 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 aspects of it I think out of my story, which is you know being playful and detaching from the outcome. So success, if you can make success be the practice, or the practice be success, not the outcome from the practice be success, then that's what makes it a much easier thing to keep going with. If you can make it, it, you know, for example, a way to do that is to focus on the learning you can take from the practice. You know, if you've got your 45, you've got your 12 minutes a week to think about, to write about whatever, whatever you want. It's like the last thing could be in, in that, the, the 12th minute or the 13th minute, if you want, could be what's one insight from this that I've learned and you'll just collect insights or, you know, you can make learning the focus. That's another, that's another great way to do it. But above all, yeah, get yourself off the hook from all the outcomes that you think you want from the process. Cause you can't predict creativity, change organizations. They're all too complex to predict what will happen. So all we can do is create the conditions for good things to happen. So make the practice a way of doing that. I love that. Create the conditions to make good things happen. Robbie, so if, if our listeners want to get in touch with you, um, how, they can, how can they find you? Now, for the first time in seven years, I'm basically everywhere, Raquel. Um, for various reasons, I'm on all the social media platforms now where I was, I, I kind of wasn't for quite a while. I was, on, I was mostly on LinkedIn and a little bit on Twitter. So you can find me on those places. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram as well. You can find me at robbyswale.com. Please do, listeners, more than welcome to add me on LinkedIn. I, I love to connect with people who have, you know, especially people who are part of your audience, Raquel, who are, from what I know are just great people. Connect with me in any of those ways. The books, if people are interested, they're on Amazon. They're also, you know, in, in on various other bookstores and depending on where in the world people are listening from um yeah and and like i like one of the things that i realized from from all of this work around creative impulse or whether that's as we've been talking about whether that's writing a book or creating a change in your organization it's like it's some of the most meaningful work that i do it, and so if particularly i'd you know i'd love to hear from anyone who's just been touched by something we've talked about or inspired or or has a question or a challenge as well i love that the process of of learning more about these things but i also one of the most meaningful things for me is when people do get inspired to start things that they've been meaning to do for a long time so if if that's you i'd particularly love to hear from you because one of the ways that i keep going doing things that you know and for all i said that about the blog these days the books have been tricky with resistance and struggle and I had a i've had a wrestling match this morning with a with a with a kind of footnote or note for for the for the next book you know it's it is a it is a bit of a battle and one of the things that i do is to remind myself that sometimes it makes a real difference to people well you are making a difference and it has been wonderful having you here on the podcast robbie yeah thanks so much for this conversation I'm your host, Raquel Arp from Listening Alchemy, and I hope you are inspired by this episode of Listen In and find one person today to practice your listening superpower. Subscribe to this podcast and share it with others for more practical and inspiring stories and examples so that we can catalyze a listening movement together. Find more information at www.listeningalchemy.com. Enjoy Listening In.